High end over end variety. And Amani from his 45. He's got a lane. And he's got speed. Look out. Beep, beep. The Ducks are in the end zone. Touchdown. This is the Duck Pod from the Register Guard Newsroom. Gordon head to head for sure. Mitchell goes in motion. They hand it off. Oregon sports beat writers Ryan Thorburn and Steve Mims. All right, welcome back to the Duck Pod. Ryan Thorburn here with Ken Woody. Oregon has an open date this week, but it's a good chance for us to reflect on their 56-24 win at USC and and all what uh, has transpired with the college football playoff rankings being released. Oregon number seven right now. Um, as we head down the stretch here. Ken, first of all, what was your observations watching Oregon just dismantle the Trojans at the Coliseum? I thought the uh, Ducks really got themselves going after a rough start. First three drives, uh, not much to talk about. And uh, they took control of the game. Uh, It might have been kind of give and take until the 100-yard kickoff return by Mikhail Wright. A, A lot of SC fans probably headed towards the refreshment booths after they scored with... 20 seconds left in the second quarter but they were rudely awakened with a big roar and the Ducks had a nice little edge at halftime and then the Ducks scored their first possession third quarter and the route was on Uh, the second thing that impressed me was really the talent disparity between USC and Oregon USC had a running back in there that looked like he was just out of high school he did he wasn't very big and he was getting run over certainly a liability as a pass protector and they you know they've had some injuries but I think recruiting has hurt them and I think also the uh kind of the the atmosphere attitude of the players Uh, two years ago I'm watching a USC game and there are shots on the the sideline of USC players arguing kind of pushing each other around a little bit the game wasn't going well for them and you just thought wow when you have stuff that that's so apparent there's some problems and that showed up in the game too and third unfortunately the the ducks didn't feel like they needed to fly above that they got right in the middle of it and that was really disappointing because i think it took away from really a great effort in a lot of ways and we'll probably talk about that today but the the manner in which uh the penalties and so on as a coach you can put up with any penalty that happens before the whistle. You know, it's part of the game, and mistakes will be made. Uh, certainly, uh, they can be corrected and so on, but penalties that occur after the win- whistle are absolutely uh, shouldn't be tolerated. And I would think, and I've heard uh, Coach Cristobal had spoken at the Daisy Ducks uh, fan club, and he had mentioned that that was something that, they were going to work on and that certain individuals were very well aware of how upset he was so good that needs to be straightened out because you don't want that to take away from really a great effort yeah well if he's punishing these guys i think he needs to do some of those up downs too as you recall that the previous game he kind of set the tone with his unsportsmanlike conduct and i know it's an emotional game and i know pac-12 refs make a lot of egregious errors but uh, it all starts with the head coach. Well, it does, and it's it's interesting because after that situation, the Washington State game, the Ducks got a little bit involved in that too. You know, it's, it might be related a little bit, and I'm sure that 
it's not him. That's not who he is. It's not who I know him to be. And so, you know, we make mistakes and we move on and we grow. And we'll just, this is a great opportunity to see how the Ducks can grow from really kind of a bad scene into hopefully a better scene down the road. Yeah, and I know that, and I agree, I mean, he's he's not happy with the penalties and, and that sort of thing. But this is a guy who was a part of the U during the glory days. And they were known to play with a lot of swagger. So I think he's probably wants that fine line between playing with that kind of an attitude and confidence and flair even. I mean, this is Oregon. You see the uniforms. You see the the trajectory they've had since 94. But I, I do think he wants to be more disciplined. I know after the Willie Taggart season that that was a point of emphasis last year, and they really were good at not getting called for penalties last season. Well, right, and it's the kind of penalties that you get. Push, pushing and shoving – is not related to football. It's all about you and whatever you're thinking about yourself or the impression you want to make. Hey, make your impression blocking people, knocking them down, tackle them. Hey, by the way, help them up once in a while. That always makes a good impression too. This thing about swagger, uh, I would just say go watch the Army-Navy game in person, get around the players, and they're trying to knock the hell out of each other, and yet it's a very respectful kind of war that they they do, and they're all committed to their country and so on afterwards, but you just look at the competition itself, and there's no reason that that can't be that way. And they have swagger. To me, it's the swagger that the game is supposed to develop. Back in the old days, you know, character and uh, integrity and sportsmanship. I, hey, are those things no longer important? They're very important, and I think our society is a little bit less for not having as much sportsmanship uh, in all walks of life as uh, as the game can give us an opportunity to demonstrate. So go ahead and be tough guys and pound your chest and so on, but you don't need to be uh, taking cheap shots or talk, you know, this talking thing. Talk with your pads, not your mouth. As you mentioned, it's easy to forget that Oregon was down 10 zip in this game. You know, they obviously scored 56 of the next 63 points, and you kind of forgot about that, but Herbert, another shaky start and telegraphed a pass for an interception. And then he was lights out again after those early miscues. I think he completed like 21 of his last 22 and was outstanding. What do you make of these slow starts for him? What's that all about? Well, the the slow start throwing the ball, the first nine times they attempted a pass, he completed three. He was sacked twice, had an interception. Uh, it was not a, a, a pretty scene. If you go back and look at it, SC had really a nice little blitz that they had five guys cover the five interior linemen, and they had a either a very quick linebacker or a safety who was trying to go in the guard center gap, and it was Hanson's guy. And Hanson, you know, has got to snap the ball. It was a total mismatch, and there was nobody there to help him. They didn't have a man in the backfield. He had either gone in motion or wasn't there. So they, they got pressure on Herbert from the start. The pass that was intercepted, uh, Red got into an open area. It was a blitz from his left side, and so you're supposed to dump it to the guy on the right, and he was right where he should be, and Herbert led him, which uh, you really don't want to do. If the guy's in an open area, you got to just throw it to him. And it was similar to a play that uh, – they ran against Colorado in the very first drive. 
to the other side of the formation, but it was the same play, same thing, and he hit uh, Red, who was kind of motored down there, and then he took off and made a big gain out of it. So I would say that that was on the quarterback. The line, they uh, eventually started having Verdell come in and and check release through the center of the line. So he was in a position to help the center or the guard, whoever, was having a hard time. And there was one time he kept a safety from getting to Herbert. So that was a real nice adjustment by Oregon and the coaches to see that. It was a real nice blitz by uh, USC. And after a while, that was nullified because they had the right guys in there to handle it. I think Herbert just, uh, I don't know, without talking to him, and you know you never know how he would answer but sometimes that just happens and Harrington was the same way the uh, Tedford was the offensive coordinator then and he said he had a heck of a time trying to find a, a series of plays that would get him off in a good tempo but in the fourth quarter captain comeback there was nobody better you know zipping it there so uh, I think the kinds of passes you call can be helpful and uh, he just got off to a bad start. Yeah, I, I thought it would be a back-and-forth game, and as you mentioned, it was for a while there. And you know, I think I said on here and, and some radio interviews I, I did when people want to know the difference, I th- said I thought it would be the senior quarterback against the freshman that Oregon had led the nation in interceptions, and if they were able to get a couple, that would be the difference. They intercepted Keaton Slovis three times, including a pick six for Brady Breeze, and uh, Breeze's pick six, you know, late in the second quarter, it looked like that would be the backbreaker, but it really wasn't. Uh, Slovis had a nice drive, threw a touchdown to Pittman, and then, as you mentioned, I think the backbreaker was uh, Mikel Wright's 100-yard kickoff right before the half. That took the air out of the building. Well, and and the how fast it happened. It took SC only about a minute and 50 seconds to go on their drive, and so imagine the elation. The, the Oregon fans, they get a pick six. All right, you know, everything's going great. SC fans down. They come back, score, and they're going, oh, all right. And all of a sudden, you, you get to – I don't know if there's a commercial break, but there probably was between the touchdown and the kickoff, but that was all the enjoyment they had out of that great feeling. And, you know, when that happened so fast, I think a lot of SC fans go, wow, these guys are going to be hard to stop and we're having a hard time going here. They, the absence of a running game bothers everybody connected with USC because they've had such a big tradition of being an awesome uh, running team. So, uh, yeah, it was just it's like having your heart cut out. Yeah, and as you know, Wright, Thibodeau, um, a lot of these guys are L.A. guys. I think that had a lot to do with the, the chatter between the two teams. They're mostly L.A. guys, or a lot of them. The prominent guys but it's got to hurt sc fans to see what mario's doing in recruiting and then for these la guys troy die his brother etc after the game celebrating on their field and kind of owning the place well i saw an interview with a usc official and i don't think he was with the athletic department but he was an older guy who had had a lot of experience and this woman was interviewing him and he he goes it's always interesting to hear from the other side what they saw and what they thought what he saw was Oregon as a provocative trash talking team. I saw it the other way although the Ducks got involved in it. At any rate, he just went it just happened so fast. We were in control 10 zip and all of a sudden it's 28 to 17 and he said it just happened so fast and now I look around 
and Cristobal was still out on the on the field shaking hands with everybody who was there. I mean, he's that kind of guy anyway, but you could just he says they've out recruited SC and they've they you know, and I wouldn't count on on that, but I I guess I wouldn't discount that Oregon's going to be very formidable recruiting that area because they really believe in it. One of the things that uh was t- held against Mark Helfrich uh was the fact that uh, Oregon had kind of given up on recruiting in California, and that really showed. So, you know, Eugene's a good place for Californians, and uh, the fact that it's a vibrant, exciting uh, athletic program really helps. So a program, you know, and a performance like that, how how great is that? That's going to help them in recruiting all the more. USC is... They're they're in trouble, and it's gonna it's not gonna be just one year that they're gonna be back in the driver's seat. Yeah, as I mentioned in my advance, usually when Oregon beats USC at the Coliseum, which doesn't happen that often, and now they don't play them as much with the Pac-12 um, having an unbalanced schedule, usually leads to something special. When you think of '94, they had a big win at USC that was kind of overshadowed by the pick and the Arizona game here and the Civil War in '94. I mean, it started off really with that USC road win, uh, and Chip Kelly had a bunch of, uh, a couple really (laughs) historic wins where they piled up points there and and went on to bigger and better things. So a good sign for the Ducks to beat USC no no matter what the situation is over there. Absolutely. You know, they're kind of the flagship uh, program in in the league, and the rest of the country looks at it that way. It's unfortunate that people around the country look, and they did this in basketball with UCLA, but they'll look and say, if SC is not the top dog, then the conference must be down. And they'll say the same thing in basketball. If UCLA isn't at the top, the the conference is down. I'm sure Arizona deals with that in basketball. They're like the Oregon of of Pac-12 football in terms of being a very powerful team that's a contender, and they're not the tradition. So. Uh, yeah, that's a big change, and uh, there's nothing better than beating those guys. Beating the Huskies is is right in there, uh, and you get to play them more regularly. So they're they're just they're delicious rivalries, different nature each one. So I think the right kickoff return was big, not just because it gave them an 11 point lead instead of a four point lead at halftime, but because Oregon was going to get the ball to start the second half, and that started with a Jawan Johnson touchdown reception to start the second half. Later in the third quarter, another Jawan Johnson touchdown reception. Uh, Beginning of the fourth quarter, another Jawan Johnson touchdown reception. You see a pattern here dating back to the last drive against Washington State. We were all wondering what would happen uh, once Breland left. Who was Herbert going to turn to uh, as that guy he can count on? looks like Jawan Johnson. He, he's a, a real special player, and I think he shows some experience. You know, he's a, a senior, and a lot of the Duck receivers are sophomore. Some of them are freshmen. And they would do very well to study how he runs routes and how he goes about doing his business. Uh, very out, outstanding player. And, and, you know, when you saw that, you're going, wow, usually that's the USC guy doing it to somebody else. So... Uh, really a a special guy and yesterday I saw on Facebook Bob Welch who's a local author here used to work at Registered Guard took his grandson to 
uh, is playing Little League football, and Justin Herbert and Juwan Johnson came to practice. And so here's Justin Herbert throwing a touchdown pass to his grandson, and then his grandson gets to throw a touchdown pass to Juwan Johnson. It's really cool to see those guys who are, I mean, those are pro guys, and they're just giving some time to these little kids, and these little kids are just in seventh heaven. It's really cool to see. Yeah, Jawan seems like he's he's got it all figured out. When you graduate early from Penn State, that's a pretty good sign that you, you know what you're doing and uh, uh, and also smart enough to know that playing with Justin Herbert your senior year might just help you out a little bit. Um, you know, Penn State was going to break in a new quarterback this year, so um, they're doing well, as, and we can talk about the, uh, the college football playoff race, which Penn State's also in later. But uh, uh, before we get to our first break, um, something I noticed, even though I'm writing um, frantically in the press box at this stage of the game, but uh, I like it when the backup quarterback not only comes in, but they let him pass the ball a little bit, let him run the offense, basically. And Tyler Shuck came in, and he had to come in for one snap when, when Herbert went down um, with an injury briefly and, and completed a pass. But he gets a, a nice 35-yard touchdown pass to Micah Pittman, it's only a glimmer, but what do you see as far as Tyler and maybe trying to replace Herbert in the future? Seeing him in the spring, I thought this guy is going to make people uh, not remember Herbert, you know, that much. Uh, I think, in terms of uh, fundamental quarterback skills, he's ahead of where Herbert was at a similar time, similar age. And when he comes in, I think it's it's great. He can run the offense. The guys on TV. Uh, we're mentioning uh, Herbert needs to get out of there. You know, he'd been in and had been down on the, the ground a couple times. Why is why aren't they making the uh, substitution? And somebody said, well, maybe it's because field position. Then I started thinking that a couple times that Shuck has come in in late garbage time, if you will, has been around the 10-yard line. He'd led a 90-yard uh, march for a touchdown in one game. He can run the offense. He's got quick feet. He's got a really nice delivery. I, and, and the thing about him is he, I, I, when I met him, he was just so polite, you know, yes, sir, this and that. But you watch him around the players, and he's got a little bit of personality and I think uh, a little more outgoing than, than Herbert. One of the interesting things about the broadcast is these guys are talking about, whoa, Herbert has everything the scouts want, but they're just concerned about his leadership and it's because he's not that vocal and i it just made me think about how stupid those guys are it reminded me of when mariota was a senior and or you know, junior he left early and they're all saying do you think he could handle the huddle how's he going to be in the huddle how will he be under center can he take the snap and you're just going this is the most ridiculous thing ever if you look at oregon's players they worship, they idolize him. And it's not because he's what he said, it's what he does. And he's a team guy. He's for everybody above himself. He works hard. Nobody works harder. And he's there as a, and he has the talent. That, you know, it helps to have talent to be a leader. But uh, you don't have to be an extrovert to be a good leader. And I learned that in grad school to my demise because I said something opposite to my professor who was a uh an introvert and he he pointed out you know introverts are a lot of times are more effective leaders because 
people so much appreciate the fact that they're not in their face and so on that they will follow them and you know give their all for them and i think that's the kind of leader that uh, herbert is there's no question i mean he can he can lead whatever he wants as far as i can tell all right well let's take our first break and then we will look around the pac-12 Hi there, it's Les Schwab Tires. You know, we've been helping keep folks safe on the road around here since 1952. That's why you can save up to $152 on a set of four select light truck and SUV tires during our fall tire sale. So swing by or book an appointment at LesSchwab.com. Les Schwab Tires, doing the right thing since 1952. Limited time offer while supplies last. Discount depends on tire size and type. Cannot be combined with other offers. Details at LesSchwab.com. All right, Ken, we're back on the duck pod. It's an open date for Oregon, but we're going to uh, hash out some uh, college football playoff talk later on. And Oregon is going to be in that talk, which is uh, great for duck fans. But looking back to last week in the Pac-12, uh, I was staying at the same hotel as the Colorado Buffaloes, and that was not good luck <laughs> for my uh, former beat. Um, I saw Gary Barnett. Uh, Phil Stefano, a lot of familiar faces. And, uh, you know, they were concerned about playing Chip Kelly because, you know, Colorado's secondary is decimated and they were, had to play a cornerback who had never played college football before and start that player. And they're like, do uh, you think Chip will notice? <laughs> and he sure did. Uh, UCLA wins 31-14 at the Rose Bowl, and all of a sudden they are 4-2 and two in the Pac-12. Well, the other thing, and I think all coaches are looking at the fact that they've rushed for over 200 yards, I think three or four straight games. Uh, things are, at the beginning of this year, I thought if they could get their quarterback situation ironed out, they could be a real good team because they have a lot of athletic talent. At the beginning of the year, they had a lot of injuries on defense, which hurt them. And, you know, I got to give uh, Kelly credit for being resilient and keeping his team aimed, uh, keeping the bow into the wind, so to speak, and it's now starting to pay off. Uh, I think I think UCLA is going to be a contender, and I think it's going to be really interesting when they, as they finish their schedule and play USC, what happens there because the the ball is rolling against SC conference-wise, but within their own town. UCLA's starting to their shadows starting to get bigger and bigger. Yeah, if the Bruins went out, they will be in the Pac-12 championship game because that means they would have beaten Utah and would have that tiebreaker. So that will be interesting. Um, speaking of teams that you know are kind of surprising, the way they've been able to turn things around in season: Oregon State fifty-six, Arizona thirty-eight. Another road win for Jonathan Smith. Uh, all of a sudden, the Beavers are four and four. Well, and I listened to Jonathan Smith being interviewed today, and even the tone of his voice is different. I mean, he's never sounded like a defeatist, but he's really coming across as somebody uh, strong, confident, who knows what's going on. And uh, he's got what Mike Bellotti always used to say, that you had to have to be a contender, and that's an offense that can score points. He's got pro players uh, at quarterback, running back, and wide receiver. Their offensive line has come around. Their defense is unbelievably better than it was, and I, I still don't think it's real strong. But, you know, the thing about football is that you can get fired up and play out of your head and beat somebody who's better than you when the other person is really not 
at totally at their game. That's why penalties are important because they can undermine a talent difference between teams and and create a, a situation where the the better team can lose. So uh, you know, kudos to Oregon State. A lot of Duck fans don't like you know me saying this, but I I the better they are, the better they make Oregon. The more interesting the Oregon State game is, the more interesting the Northern Division is. Uh, it the tougher the division is, the tougher it's going to be for people just to focus on Oregon, for example. And uh, so uh, good for them, and I think it speaks well for the state. And, and Jonathan Smith is doing a heck of a job. I mean, in only his second year, much further than people would uh, have predicted. But the people predicting are making their predictions too much on what has happened in the past and not what's happening right now. They've gotten some... Uh, transfers who have been in key positions and you know you kind of wonder why would a transfer leave Nebraska to go to Oregon State well something's going on there that is attractive to kids and it's the same thing you know people think about why would anyone go to Washington State hey there's a lot of reasons that people say that about why would you go to Oregon when you can go to USC there are some reasons and you got to have guys that are going to work hard to uh, the word exploit but a promote is probably a better word that's really Cristobal's crowning achievement so far in my mind is he's made this a real top destination for top recruits to consider and commit to and uh, he's showing no evidence of getting letting up in that area the ducks are going to be they're going to be even better next year this is a young team and uh, but it's showing the results of top rated recruiting classes and the other big game last Saturday, Utah goes to Washington and wins 33-28. So now the Utes, coupled with USC's loss, are in control of the South and uh, appear to be on a collision course with Oregon for the Pac-12 championship game. Do you think both teams get there with only one loss? Um, I, I think there's a possibility, but I don't, I, I don't think the possibility is over 75%, 80%. Oregon could lose any one of its next three games they could very well win them they probably will be favored in them but they've lost games in which they've been favored before so that's why penalties are important uh get to the point where they're not a uh, an issue in the game let it be with your talent with your quarterback your i mean the offense has really come together and uh if the running backs can stay healthy that you know that's kind of a a thing that might have an impact on the whole thing Utah looks awfully tough. I thought uh, Washington would take them, but after seeing them, they folded again in the second half. And you look at it, it's not because they're not any good. It's because they're not deep, and they lost a lot of good players last two years on defense. They don't look as good on defense as they have. Offensively, they have a real good offensive line, but their skill guys, you know, they drop passes, and they just – they're they're missing on a couple cylinders so and i thought they were overrated to begin the year anyway so that not a surprise but utah is a very business-like hard-nosed team and uh if it gets to the point it would be great for both teams to to get in there and and be the masters of their division and have a shootout and see where it takes them i think that'd be i think oregon matches up really well against utah actually so this friday night you have Washington wobbling down to Corvallis, five and four overall, two and four in the Pac-12. 
you know Oregon State's up for this game. They haven't been in this kind of position for a while now. Can the Beavers beat the Huskies in Corvallis on Friday night? I think they can. And uh, part of the the Huskies have been taking a lot of heat from their media. You know, college teams that are in teams with professional teams, they tend to get a lot more negative media when things aren't going good. There's no other team to compare them to. Plus, you know, those professional writers are a little bit hard-edged and they, you know, drink hard liquor and that sort of thing. Uh, but the Huskies are, are getting beat up. And I, I read a, a comment by their center, who's a great great center and he said if I need to talk to anybody on this team about getting up to the game I'm ready to do it and so what's that mean means that maybe he thinks there's a couple reasons to make that speech and we'll see it'll depend on you know at uh, Oregon State getting a couple big plays to get them excited and they need to to get excited in their game because if it ends up being a kind of a grind up game the Huskies have a little bit of an edge I think but it'll be interesting All right, let's take our last break, and then we will talk about the college football playoff. Hi, Ryan Thorburn here, sports reporter at the Register Guard. I've covered a lot of your favorite sports memories in recent years. Marcus Mariota being presented the Heisman Trophy in New York. Oregon blowing defending national champion Florida State off the field in the Rose Bowl. Sabrina Ionescu becoming the face of women's college basketball while helping transform the Ducks from Pac-12 afterthought to national powerhouse. No other media company covers Oregon athletics with the depth and quality found at DuckSports.com. But in order for the Register Guard to continue its rich history of local journalism, we need your support. Please subscribe and support our advertisers to help us chronicle the ducks and take you behind the scenes to create more memories in the years to come. All right, Ken, we're back on the Duck Pod. Oregon has won eight games in a row since losing to Auburn back in August. They are seventh in the college football playoff rankings. Utah is eighth. Um, so they are, I guess, three spots away from getting in the final four. Um, I think that's a fair place for them to be. They're the second one-loss team behind number six Georgia, but you know the usual suspects at the at the top: Ohio State, LSU, Alabama, Penn State, Clemson. Um, LSU and Alabama play this week. Uh, Penn State will be playing Ohio State later on so there's going to be some losses above Oregon what what do you make of this race when you when you look at those two games they may have a loser that still won't drop out of the top four the way things go uh, it's hard for me to not feel a little bit like it's all a setup anyway the the Pac-12 has been left out and sometimes there might be a reason for it but I think the media has so much to do with it and preconceptions and they're talking about what's a quality victory and you know the fact that Clemson stays in their position the week they beat Wolford 59 to 10 or whatever it was they don't I'll tell you what Oregon will probably go down one because they had a buy yeah I mean that's just kind of what you expect so uh, I think that there there's some really good teams Uh, the ideal for me would be the Ducks would uh, win all the rest of their games, get a Rose Bowl bid, and uh, but yet get into the playoffs and not have to play either Alabama uh, or LSU or Ohio State. 
those two teams would play each other and one of them would get out of there. And playing Ohio State in the second game of the playoffs would be a lot better than the first game. So, uh, you know, I don't really know what I said there other than I think Oregon does not have a great chance of making the Final Four even if, if they win out. There's there's so many other things that have to happen. And I would say anybody who's worried about that is wasting their time because what will happen will happen. Right. I'm, I mean, everyone's saying that, you know, if LSU loses a close game at Alabama or Alabama loses a close game to LSU and they can claim that their quarterback wasn't healthy, that both will still get in. I don't believe that because no team – I don't believe any team has ever gone 9-0 and in the Pac-12 and then essentially 10-0 and by also winning the Pac-12 championship. There's no way that Oregon's going to be left out if they are 12-1. and And if they are left out, then <laughs> uh, Larry Scott has some work to do in, in figuring out why they are not considered a true Power 5 conference or perhaps expanding the playoff because uh, – I just don't see it. I don't think that there's a bias in the room like other people do. I mean, Rob Mullins is in charge of this committee. So we'll see. But I, I think that 12-1 uh, and one is in, whether you're Oregon or Utah, but maybe I'm naive. Well, the problem with Rob Mullins is when there's a conversation start, he has to leave the room because he has to uh, uh, get out because his team's being considered. That's one. Larry Scott, um, I would go on record as saying that guy – uh, has done a very poor job of positioning the Pac-12. His the, the the TV contract that was signed that allows ESPN to have first pick all the time has worked against Oregon. Oregon only seems to play night games in the conference when they're at home. Uh, that's an inconvenience. It's it's not fair either. I don't think. Um, but the the thing with the national playoffs that still sully my the taste in my mouth two one. When Miami played Nebraska in the Rose Bowl, which was the national championship, Nebraska got beat by 40 points by Colorado in their conference championship and yet went to the national championship game. Meanwhile, Oregon, you know, I I can't remember exactly their record, but it was easily the same as Nebraska. They, They get passed up. They go to the Fiesta Bowl and knock the dog out of Colorado, and Nebraska gets killed by Miami. It should have been Oregon-Miami. And a lot of people later said, yeah, it should have been that way. And then uh, the the other situation is uh, – I can't remember it right now. Well, just to, <laughs> to date myself, I covered that Fiesta Bowl. Uh, Colorado beat um, Nebraska 62-36 in Boulder. I st- the athletic director had my game story framed in his uh, office. I mean, it was a huge win for Colorado, obviously. And that was actually a divisional game in the Big 12. Colorado then went on to beat Texas in the Big 12 championship um, at Cowboys Stadium um, and in front of all Texas fans. So they, they had that extra win there. And Colorado actually had two losses that year. Um, but in the computer system, the ridiculous BCS computer system, because they had so many great wins uh, that year, their computer ranking was like right there at number two, um, despite having two losses. So, yeah, that was a year where they needed the 14 playoff. It would have been Miami, Colorado, and, you, you know, that historic Miami team would have beaten anyone. And then, you know, Oregon could have 
beat up on Nebraska and then had their shot at Miami. But uh, yeah, I knew that or that Colorado was in trouble because they were still talking about Nebraska at the Fiesta Bowl, and Oregon was talking about Colorado and the focused Joey Harrington led team just smothered, just crushed Colorado. That was. Uh, really a great Mike Bellotti team to finish number two in the country. So, uh, yeah, I think the play- playoff is is a small improvement, but uh, you know we'll still be debating if Oregon's number five this year. Well, you're right, and when when the BCS and all that started getting underway, a lot of the guys leading it were Southeast Conference. One of them was Southeast Conference commissioner. There was a Big Twelve commissioner. There was nobody uh, that you saw that had a any position of power from the West. And uh, so I've always felt like it's been kind of a fixed game anyway. And uh, it's just, I don't, the thing about football is it's so physical. You can't have the kind of playoff that they have in Division Three, where they'll play 13 or 14 games. And, the, you know, they got players that actually can, you know, make it through all those games. Kids are having a hard time with 12-game schedule. I think the schedule ought to be 10 games because the, the human body just can't, these guys are too big, too fast, too rough, and injuries place. Just look at what injuries have done to the Pac-12 this year. Stanford, Cal, um, Colorado. You're talking about the the injuries that they've had. It's it's unfortunate that injuries play such a big part. And as far as the ticket buying public is, you know, you hey, we got a contending team. Game three, you, you're down to your third quarterback, and geez. We spent six hundred dollars for these tickets. I don't, you know, it's a big disappointment. All right, before we get out of here, as you mentioned, yet another night game coming for Oregon at Autzen Stadium, seven thirty next Saturday against Arizona. What does Oregon need to focus on during their open date at their practices to finish this thing off? It's interesting because in the other bye week, uh, Coach Cristobal said we need to focus on fundamentals and execution. And that's that's you know Oregon has has played better game by game, and I think that's a result of that tendency to hone in on those two things. But here's the other thing that I think is being left out, and is discipline. You you have to play disciplined, and you know resorting to fundamentals is a form of discipline. So I mean we're certainly capable of this. I used to think. Uh, look at who was the least penalized teams in the country and it was always Air Force, Army and Navy were in the top five all the time and I I thought what well, if I ever gave a speech to the Oregon football team I'd say I think it's possible that students from a liberal arts uh, university could be as disciplined as those that are at a military academy. We're only talking about a 60-minute football game. Do you have to have 48-hour uh, discipline, you know, day after day, like they do in the service academies, or there, there's the challenge. You, you don't have that requirement. I mean, they they've got a lot of things that require discipline, going to class and 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 you know, being where they need to be. That it's a lot of time and pressure that are on college athletes of all sports, and so that there is discipline there. Why can't you relate that to the the football game? It's a it's a you, re, you need to do that. So that's where the focus needs to be. Hey, don't let Tate run around. A couple of years ago, uh, when they played up here in uh, Eugene, when Levitt was a D coordinator, they had one of the best defensive game plans ever. They never let him get outside, and he became very frustrated. Uh, when he's frustrated, he's not a great thrower. 
you you must respect the fact that they've got some guys that can make things happen but they're young and kind of beat up themselves uh show no mercy go out and in a sportsman like way crush them all right no mercy so uh we will come back next week and talk more about that game and thanks for tuning in make sure you check out all of our work at ducksports.com